uh, this this I think this was a bit of a national embarrassment for Esther because she was trotted out here in a fashion that I don't really agree with. I don't know if she was given advice. I don't know her vocal coach is. This is this is humiliating. I thought this was humiliating. I don't know why she's right. Why did people let her do this? Why did people let her sing like that? It's silly. It's so silly. <laughs> in hell a look back at saturday night live with your hosts matt d and keith brought to you by lion's den audio theater like and subscribe to lion's den audio theater for more lion's den goodness and here are your hosts keith d and matt episode four of saturday night live starring candace bergen Originally aired on November 8th, 1975. Welcome to episode four, Matt and Dee. Such a pleasure to be back. Hello. Pleasure to have you back. I did get a comment from someone who's listened to one of our episodes. What? And That's they actually, exciting. Yeah, they actually wrapped my knuckles for saying skit instead of sketch. Why? Well, you know, the, the common thing is that skit is something a kid does around a campfire. I use the words interchangeably. Uh, This is one of the few times in 2021 I can say if I offend you with that, I I really don't care. I don't, uh, yeah, I do say sketch. Yeah. I I am aware that I do say sketch because, and you know what? I'm not trying to say that that was me (laughs) because it wasn't. No. You know what? Skit does feel more pedestrian. So we have tonight, we have uh, Kent. Miss Bergen. Now, we all know her as Murphy Brown, but in 1975, they didn't know her as Murphy Brown. Candace Bergen, a uh, Hollywood child, the child of the world's most famous ventriloquist, I would argue, uh, Edgar Bergen. And uh, she grew up with a wooden dummy named Charlie McCarthy, who was kind of her father's favorite child, I've read. He had a nicer bedroom than she did. But that didn't stop old Candy Bergen from really making an impact in the world. She went on to become a model and slowly transitioned into films where she actually showed uh, great chops early on. I come into this episode uh, already loving Candace Bergen because I loved Murphy Brown. Uh, and I also just think Candace Bergen is just such a strikingly beautiful woman. Uh, and so, you know, she's she's an immediate hit for me. I think this must have been a huge get for Saturday Night Live. Candace Bergen feels like Wow, what are you what are you doing here? Uh, Dee, you're 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 not quite as old as Matt and I. Were were you familiar with Murphy Brown or or Candace Bergen at all? No, Miss Mam was before my time, but when she came on the screen, she was definitely captivating. The funny thing is is I you know, I thought the same thing, but this is relatively early in her career. I mean, this is definitely the first like quarter of her career. She's 30 years old here. I looked it up. Yeah. She gives a vibe of like 
old Hollywood. This is the biggest audience reaction that we have seen to a host so far on the show. Yeah. The audience absolutely yeah. lost their minds. And yeah, so uh, I'm looking forward to talking more about uh, Candace Bergen and, and this whole episode. I just wanted to make a correction from episode two. I said that Lorraine Newman was the youngest of the not ready for primetime players. Um, it was actually Dan Aykroyd was the youngest. He was 23 years old at the time. Wow. I would not have guessed that. I mean, he looks young. Little yeah. baby Dan. I love him. And Newman was also 23, um, but uh, slightly older, like a couple months older. Like I said in episode two, it's hard to look at anyone from the 70s and think they're in their 20s. And the uh, the musical guest is Esther Phillips, who had a, a, a stellar career, but we'll talk a bit about Esther as, as the time comes up. In the news at the time, and, and I only mention it because uh, Bergen did, the Equal Rights Amendment vote had happened in New York uh, only a couple days before um, and it was uh, voted down. Um, but it does eventually pass, but just uh, obviously Bergen was was a little downtrodden by that not being accepted in, in, in a state that's supposed to be as progressive as New York. So She's a real that, Jane Fonda. Yeah, but I, I think less controversial. Yeah, Jane was... That was next level. You're right. That's, yeah. That's yeah. Fair comparison Candace to Candace Bergen at all. I would know who Candace was. I know who mm. Jane is. Yeah. So the cold opening of this episode, we have Chevy Chase debuting his Gerald Ford impression. This is the first uh, impression of a president, and that becomes quite a staple. What are your uh, What are your thoughts of this opening? I mean, listen, I'm just a technological little baby from 2021. <laughs> I had no idea who he was trying to portray. I looked at Matt. I said, who's this, a president? And he said, yeah, I think it's, and I don't remember what president he Gerald said. Ford. Gerald Ford. Ford. Uh, and then he trips over some chairs and he delivers the opening cold. I gave it a one out of ten. I, I couldn't identify which president it was, and I think that's kind of a problem. Chevy, yeah. uh, Chevy Chase doesn't look, sound, act like Gerald Ford. This is dumb. I don't know. I don't know. This is them like trying to figure, okay, we want to do jokes about the president. We have fucking nothing. Put mm -hmm. our popular guy out there and maybe figure it out. He doesn't figure it out. Waste of everybody's time. Yeah, they do. I mean, they do have that little disclaimer saying it's not actually Ford. It's just some guy who thinks he is. But yeah, it's, it's sort of later he does come back as actual Ford with no makeup. So, you know, at this stage of it, there was no attempt to make him look like Gerald Ford compared to today where it's almost like a full latex makeover. I mean, I got a big problem with that as well. I think, uh, I, I think putting on a fucking mask is yeah. shitty acting. So the monologue, uh, Bergen gives a charming monologue. She's joined by uh, Belushi dressed as a bee and Chevy comes out and tells her there's a bee sitting on her hand. Chevy hits the bee, which is John Belushi with a newspaper. Some funny stuff happens. This is the first monologue I thought to resemble a truly contemporary monologue. Yeah, I get that. The host comes out, they be themselves. <laughs> Pardon the pun. And then the the not ready for primetime players come and interact around them. Comedy ensues. Uh, so yeah, while I do think you're absolutely right about that, I also think that they did not know what to do with this serious professional actress. Yeah, it felt like there was a bit of scrambling. But as always, I like to see the bees. And as this goes on, John Belushi is coming an absolute favorite of mine. I love him. 
he is so charming. And every time he is on the screen, like, I never feel like he is not doing what he's supposed to be doing. He is always making me laugh. I, yeah. I like all I like all the bees, but Belushi more than anyone, the deadpan nature that he has, the serious, serious face he has in the bee costume is just such a nice, uh, for the lack of better term, juxtaposition. It is. It gives me real bee vibes. Like if a bee was a human. <laughs> my, my favorite part of it is, is is accidental. The way the fucking antenna just swing and bounce around kills me. <laughs> It's yeah. half of the performance for me is that those fucking antenna, they're just wild. They swing. So this one works for you guys, the uh, the opening monologue, or is it is it off? Well, it works. Okay. D thinks it works. I wouldn't say it works. It doesn't really work for me, no. You know, John Belushi is fine. He's clearly magnetic. You know, when Chevy comes out, there's no chemistry going on here. Uh, they don't know what to do with Candace Bergen. That could have been fucking anybody. That could have been Jane Curtin. Uh, this has nothing to do with Candace Bergen. There's nothing to do with, you know, an actress of her caliber. There was a lot of opportunity here. And then just pissed it away on their fucking, there's a bee on you. Come on. Then we go to our, our first commercial of the night, the Ambassador Training Institute. Uh, a- announcer Andrew Duncan voiceovers uh, a scene with uh, Dan Aykroyd and Lorraine Newman. Um, and this uh, Ambassador Training Institute provides a home learning course for ambassadors and those interested in international diplomacy. As someone who grew up with all these correspondence schools, like Learn to Draw in 30 Days and stuff all over the television, uh, I absolutely loved this one. I laughed my head off at it. Uh, I thought it was really clever, and I could believe that people like actually went through this and ended up in their positions it's completely realistic yeah to too me. real too real for <laughs> me man this is what happens it just kind of made me mad because it was just such an obvious illustration of what happens uh and you know with the state of politics as they've been for the last 10 years let's say too real too real. Fuck these people. This was too real for a few affiliates, too, because apparently uh, they actually cu- thought this was an act- a, a real commercial and cut to their uh, local commercials instead. And this one got cut out of a few uh, affiliates. <laughs> no wonder. Yeah. And that sort of goes to show again. It's like these guys are nailing these commercials because, you know, they're fooling technicians in the booths and stuff. Like that, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So. <laughs> Again, they're inventing this universe for us to be in in between these these sketches. Uh, our next bit, Garrett Morris goes to see Dan Aykroyd. He wants to see his CIA file. Wasn't much to this one for me. I, I actually loved the set in this one. It was just papers everywhere. Morris was funny. I thought Aykroyd was funny, but not the best showcase of either of them. You know what? I could repeat almost my comments for this one. I thought this was too real. This was this was like such just a. Uh, such an excruciating look at bureaucracy. Let me tell you a true story right now. Okay. I submit my taxes to the Canadian Revenue Agency and they say, go log into your account. And I try to log into my account and they say, you're locked out of your account. Call us. So I call them and they say, we're too busy. You can't call. Go log into your account. <laughs> Yeah, uh, this did feel too real to me. The absolute chaos of the office. Garrett's frustration, like, going in there. Like, at this point, he's he's guilty. Like, he's confessing to crimes. Like, please, can you find my file? I'm admitting to tax evasion just so that they can, they can find my file. Like, that's how it feels. That's something I, I neglected to mention, unfortunately, because I was lost in the realism. The performances in this are fucking awesome. Dan Aykroyd and Garrett Morris gave five-star performances in this sketch. 
this is this is really really good for me i think when this was being like at the very beginning of it when it first comes on for a few seconds i had no idea what was going on it took me a few seconds to understand each character and what they were trying to portray so maybe that's what was missing for you because that's what was missing for me two seconds of backstory would have helped yeah i don't know it's you're, you're probably right on that one our, our next uh, Chiron, another great Chiron on the audience, uh, showing the older sister of ex-Mouseketeer Cubby. Now, that was dated even then, for Christ's sake, you know. Just It just gave me a little laugh. Anytime you're going to cut to the audience, slap any random text on there, and I'm sure it's going to, like, make me smile. Uh, but yeah, when it comes to the topical humor, I didn't get it. You know, and to be honest, the audience members that are getting shown seem to really be getting a kick out of it most of the time. Yeah, they do. <laughs> so now we get an introduction to a, a character that uh, that sticks around for quite a while, even made some cameos into the uh, 2000s. It's the Jaws 2 Land Shark. Land Shark, known as the cleverest species of them all, tricks a series of women into answering their door where they meet the Land Shark. We also have interspersed cuts with John Belushi and Dan Aykroyd playing Brady and Cooper from uh, Jaws 1 as sort of investigators. Uh, how'd you feel about this one? I, I loved it. I, I mean, I love the Land Shark skits anyway. Yeah, home run for me too, man. This is the kind of shit that uh, helped me learn and love saturday night live to be honest because land shark is the kind of stuff that was on those old best of snl reels those old best of snl vhs tapes like this was one of my early exposures to early saturday night live so it was nostalgic it's still funny i get it i love it slam dunk for me for me, this was, yeah, it was pretty funny. Uh, I thought it was silly. If I could use any word to describe it, I would say it's silly. Um, seven out of ten. Uh, we start with Gilda. We go to Lorraine and the host. So we kind of get to see how each person reacts to it differently. And you think, you know, that they're going to be able to escape it, but they don't. And that's, it's it's funny. It's cute. And then, of course, uh, poor Garrett Morris gets it in the end. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> the, my, my favorite, it's, it's kind of a small detail. But the fact that all the remains were in these little Tupperware or Rubbermaid dishes, (laughs) that to me was, yeah, I just, I enjoyed that. I'm so glad these are here. The the land sharks almost have a Monty Python-esque vibe to them. And and I am a huge Python fan. But just the sort of ridiculousness of it is what makes it great, I think. This is one of the, I think, I really do think this is an early highlight. Do you remember this as highlight reel type stuff? This was, yeah, best of, yeah, absolutely. And and I think even, like, the commercials advertising the VHS specials and stuff like that, the two two of the things I remember, well, three things I remember are the Land Shark, uh, Were the Bees, and uh, and Wild and Crazy Guys. So if, if you know your Saturday Night Live history, that's some, uh, that's some good company to be in with. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, then we go to uh, Esther Phillips singing What a Difference a Day Makes. It's an old song by Dinah Washington. It's given a complete makeover. Um, I'd like to hear from you guys first on this one. I need to defer absolutely to <laughs> D, who had reactions to this performance that, that I would never have anticipated. Who did Esther dirty like this? Number one, ma'am, she can sing, okay? I am not trying to discredit that fact that she can sing, but there is this thing that she does, uh, not even just at the end of words, but it will be like in the middle of a verse where she's just like, eh, 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 
and it feels like she's skipping, like she's literally a skipping <laughs> CD. And it just continues to happen throughout her whole song. And the longer it goes on, the funnier it gets to me. Who did her dirty? I don't know. I don't know. I think she was a Candace Bergen choice. Um, that noise I've been calling the dolphin vibrato. It is, that is exactly what it is. That is exactly what it is. It is one of the funniest sounds I have heard in my entire life. And the confidence that she delivers it with is unmatched. This woman's voice is ridiculous. It's ridiculous. Uh, she can sing. You're right. She has a beautiful voice. But the noise is coming out of her. Not just the dolphin vibrato, but the the the, the, the grunts and the, the the breathing and the oh my gentle Jesus. Now other uh, there are other people with ridiculous voices. Like Aaron Neville, Johnny Mathis, Bob Dylan, Our Lady Peace. They have these weird voices. And I've always wondered, like, say you're a good friend with Bob Dylan. You talk to Bob Dylan all the time. He has a normal voice. You're chit-chatting with him. He says, come to my concert. You go to his concert and you hear him singing like that. To me, it's like that would be jarring. And and I I think this would be jarring. I, I, I know this song. I know the Dinah Washington version, which I, I really like. But I, I was fucking laughing at this woman. And she's a legend in, in, in many circles. I'm you literally know. crying. I cannot believe this made it to TV. Yeah, that D's, sound is unreal. He's fucking dead over here. Listen, I'm not trying to say that I can't like this is not is this my main style of music? No, but I mean, this is uh, this is a time when I when I think about this kind of music. I was a big fan of Blue Eyed Soul. So like David Bowie's Young Americans came out in 1975. Yeah. And that was a year earlier. And he made use of such American talent that is really going to blow up. He made use of Tina Turner. He made use of Luther Vandross. And then Mm. I got this fucking shit on my television on Saturday night. This is this fucking sucks, man. This sucks. This sucks bad. (laughs) She had had an earlier career and she was in the midst of a much desired comeback i think is the best way to put it it feels like there's a point at which i don't know if it's just black singers but as a black person this is something i have noticed but there are so many ridiculous vocal things that we can do that i think are hilarious that because we are black other people will be like that's a good job man that slaps that's great and it doesn't they're just black and you're afraid to say that. And it's really funny. And I wish that we could all appreciate how funny this is and that she does also have the talent. But why can't we just laugh at this? Like, it's so funny to me. Oh, we can uh, laugh at I mean, I don't think it's funny. I just think it sucks. Like, who, like, this is fucking just shitty. She's, this is shitty music. This is supposed to be a cool show. I've mentioned this on a previous episode. This is supposed to be a fucking cool show. This isn't cool. This is shit. I, I honestly, I think this is good music interpreted ridiculously. I'm saying this and I'm worrying about saying it, but I just thought this was comical. It is you know? comical. And the reason you're worried about saying it is because she's black. Don't worry and about saying black it. And as a black person, I'm here to say it's bad. And it's fine to say that it's bad and it's hilarious. And I want to give a shout out to the sax players in the song. Oh, yeah. Take seriously. They were awesome. Oh, yeah. 
Yeah. It's ridiculous. It was it was comically bad. Keith, I think this was performance was fucking comically bad. There's a reason that I've never heard of this woman. I listen to music a lot. I really think I'm a good music historian. You, you know, shit like this obviously passes me by. You know what? Maybe I'm not a good music historian. What do I know? I sell <laughs> electronics for a living. Don't fucking listen to me. The point is, is that <laughs> this was comically bad. And I really think, you know what? I couldn't, I can't put it better than D. Somebody did this woman dirty by letting her get out here and do this. You know, the sad part, well, the the odd part is I don't think anyone did. (laughs) I think this woman had a following and. (laughs) So it was some 41, I guess, but I mean, you know, it's, it's, it's the dolphin noise. It's, I, it's just and and maybe I don't know just knowing the other version of the song and I should never do that that's a terrible thing to do to compare covers to originals and whatnot. Uh, you're the data master of mm-hmm. this show. I would like to make a request of the data master. Sure. Uh, I would like you to note that I think that this is probably one of the worst musical performances of all time on Saturday Night Live. <laughs> Are you suggesting, too, that Esther Phillips might be, like, a truly amazing satirist who was doing this comically and just nobody caught on until us? If, I am. If only. <laughs> Man, if only. I would, she would, I would change my life. <laughs> we should move on because we got to look at this again. Yeah. Yeah, we'll, we'll visit with Esther again later. Um, but we're all on the... Uh, the, the same page on this one um so the next one it's it's a sketch but it's also a product placement ad um for polaroid and it begins with chevy chase playing hamlet but he has cheat sheets written on the skull um the skull breaks and that uh, segues into a polaroid commercial with candace bergen dressed as a bee as far as like actual real life ads go this was this was fun this is a good way to get your uh, product i was kind of interested in 1970s polaroids after this so keith can you clarify like was this a legitimate paid advertisement this was a legitimate paid ad and these pop up a bit throughout uh, the show okay then that, and, and you know what if i may be honest that changes my perception of it entirely. If this is a legitimate paid advertisement by Polaroid, then I think it's fucking brilliant because it's, you know, it's not a great sketch, obviously. If that's what they were doing, I really think that's cutting edge. That's awesome. D, what, what, do, you, what do you think? Did you did you have any concept that this might be an actual Polaroid commercial? Uh, no. I mean, in hindsight, it seems like, oh, yeah, Polaroid's cool. Look how I closed the camera. Look at the cool stuff. And I mean, even my nostalgia glasses was like, oh, I want a Polaroid now. Anyway. Actually, you know what? I say no, but I knew that this was a sponsored ad by Polaroid because a lot of technology at the time, like if you were to see a commercial for it, it would go in depth and explain for some reason exactly how to use the camera and how it functioned within the commercial. So that was a dead giveaway for yeah, me. Yeah, okay. Yeah, these sort of in-show paid spots, they sort of come in, in and out of vogue. Um, and I always think they, they usually work. I remember for, there was a period of time there in the late 90s when Conan started doing ads from the desk. They work for me more so than a regular ad would. Yeah, I you're right. I respect it. It shows that they allowed the show to do that with the ad. Like, they didn't just literally play a generic Polaroid commercial. They kind of let them do something with it. And I like that. I can respect that. I'm fine with it. Our next bit is an ad for long distance. Remember when that was a thing? Oh, boy. The less said about this one, the better, I think. A uh, It starts with a young man being uh, dressed up 
in a dress, trying on the dress as his mother makes alterations to it. And then he grows up to call his mother. And the character is is, is gay. And he's gay because, as it's implied, his mother dressed him up like a girl. This one is not acceptable to me. Do you look like you're itching? I this thought one... this was an Albert Brooks film without any entrance, like without any <laughs> introduction. It had vibe, it. I thought it? they were throwing us right into an Albert Brooks film. It had that vibe now, the, like the look to it. Yeah, this one was edited out of a lot of reruns and, and protested by the uh, the gay alliance, gay activist alliance at the time. I don't know. Am I seeing this wrong, or do you guys have sort of the same same thought on this one? As someone who identifies as not straight and definitely spends a lot of time in the gay communities, in a way, I I still kind of found this a little bit funny. Um, but overall, yeah, it's definitely something awkward, and I can see how at the time the gay community might have been up in arms, especially anybody who was trans at that time might have been up in arms about it as well. Um, yeah, I can totally see why they would feel that way, but at the same time, I identify as both of those things, and I think it's funny, so. Absolutely, 100% does not make it to air today. Fucking absurdly offensive and touchy not funny i did not like this skit uh it just made me uncomfortable to be honest this is the first uh first bit i've seen that i'm surprised even made it to the dvd so yeah i'm i'm, I'm actually shocked but uh i don't know maybe i'm reading too much into it but uh this one i don't know didn't no, i don't think well. you're reading too much into it keith this was really short-sighted this is really like we're this is like something you look back at where like we can be we can say honestly like it was fucked up that that shit used to fly yeah Uh, yeah i I really don't think it's cool that if, if something like that aired now there would be such wildness and and this obviously has flown under the radar i mean this is just some innocuous sketch that nobody gives a shit about or remembers it's just <laughs> funny but, to uh, me that it aired at all I, uh, that's what's funny to but me but yeah but yeah. i think this this is way more fucked up than anything else than what was the other one we talked about that maybe shouldn't have gone to air or prior like albert was it albert brooks of the children where where the kids yeah. sit at the table with the guy yeah yeah yeah. Anyway, uh, I thought this this is a horrible fucking taste. I hate this sketch. That's not the stuff that should stay with you when you watch a comedy show. To me, it's like funny in the way that this is pe- like how people think gay people happen and how people think trans people happen. Like a yes. mockery of that. Yeah, I can exactly. see it being funny yeah. that way, but I don't think that's how it was intended. No, it was. It was it's it's intended as a fucking shitty, cruel joke. Which and and again, I've said it before. I'll say it constantly saturday night live positions itself as a cool progressive show republicans would have made this fucking skit mm-hmm. this, they, this is an embarrassment we'll move on to weekend update the we get our very first i'm chevy chase and you're not which i thought until this watch through and I even haven't seen the other episodes i actually thought that was there from, since the beginning but i uh, i noticed that uh, it doesn't come into play until until this episode and i think what, that's how I'm chevy chase and you're not 
Yeah, yeah. I've never heard that before, and that was so funny to me, especially at my age. Like, growing up, Chevy Chase was always such a fucking asshole. He was such an asshole. Like, community, everything that I would see him in, he was such a jerk. So that, to me, really encompassed him as a human being, and that made me laugh. That being said, I'm I'm worried that I'm always going to dislike this segment. Like, Weekend Mm -hmm. Update overall i'm so worried that i'm always going to dislike it and i really like him so i don't want to you're definitely yeah. not across the board pretty much uh i thought i'm chevy chase and you're not uh first of all keith i always thought he did it too uh but when i first saw when i finally heard it here for the first time i was like ah, there it is uh, got a good pop out of me uh the topical humor of weekend update still does not work for me I, I think it's still technically production wise really sloppy. Surprised they don't they don't seem to have it together from a TV production point. Somebody a seasoned television production professional. It's just it's a little too sloppy production wise still for me. It's too topical still for me. Chevy still magnetic for me, but he doesn't have anything to read. Like the jokes aren't there. He's just uh, right now a good-looking guy doing this kind of sloppy shit. They haven't found they haven't found their voice yet. You know, he's he's coming. It's coming along. But yeah, we're not we're not there yet. This was a this was a forgettable update for me. Except one line, well one bit. Vandals breaking into the art gallery and attaching arms to the Venus de Milo. Yeah, that was good. That worked. <laughs> and I didn't mean I don't want, I want to be clear that I don't mean my commentary as cuz it seems kind of scathing. There's good jokes in here. I'm not like you know people are writing good stuff and there's there's clever like one liners but like unfortunately they get lost when you think about when you think back about this as a whole and and you just remember that it was just kind of a drag that's a formula that's an important formula in comedy that they have to figure out don't lose your clever jokes because you dragged something out too long, then people don't remember it and people don't want to come back and people might not want to watch again. There are a lot of lessons to be learned here. IMO, in my opinion. There is an ad in the middle of this for Try Opening. It's a rerun from episode one. I know that was an ad that, that D in particular really liked. And then Jane Curtin does an editorial as a congresswoman talking about how bad New York is as Chase Moxer. That fell flat for me. And again, Garrett Morris is the head of the New York School of the Heart of Hearing. I, I still laughed at it. I laughed at it yeah. again. So it's it's not it wasn't burned out for me yet. I'm two for two on Garrett yeah. Morris on Weekend Update. Well, I, I got to say, Morris goes all in. Yeah. You know, that's that's part of the fun for me. This Weekend Update didn't really do it for me. It was cool to see Jane Curtin. Uh, in the Congress women position, I thought that was kind of funny, not for the jokes that were delivered, but just seeing her in that position was funny to me. Um, but yeah, again, the weekend updates uh, still aren't hitting for me. Some of the strength of later weekend updates is the guests that they pull in. Sometimes they've actually relied too much on that, but it's good to see that becoming something too. Um, and Jane Curtin, Jane Curtin does these straight woman bits so well anyway. So our next bit is, uh, it's it's an ad. Uh, it's uh, Candace Bergen as Catherine Deneuve uh, resting her head on a Chanel number no. 5 bottle, um, talking about beauty and whatnot. Um, and she, uh, she lifts her head and the bottle is stuck. This was short. This was 
funny, I thought, and it was good to hear Bergen doing a, an impression. That's fine. It's uh, it's it's pleasant enough filler. Six out of ten, good filler for me. Yeah, that's probably what. It, this is how you do filler, I guess. Filler doesn't have to suck. It just has to kind of keep the ball rolling, and that's what this did, I think. Our next segment is uh, Andy Kaufman. He does his uh, his foreign man bit, later known as the Latka voice. He tells a very oddly timed joke about two boys and a girl bringing a cannon, a cannon to Spain, um, and then goes into an imita- uh, uh, one imitation and uh, deals with the consequences of that. Uh, this is uh, this is quintessential Andy Kaufman. This is how most people saw him first, if it wasn't Mighty Mouse. This is different enough from the uh, lip syncs to the record players. Uh, D, um, you're discovering Andy. What did you think of this one? I just love him so much. Normally, like <laughs> doing a foreign accent wouldn't be funny to me. I would be like, that's racist. I don't care for this. But it's somehow he manages to make this so funny and so charming. And then by the end of it, when he's just like, I don't know nothing. Should we stop the tape? I'm like, baby, yes. Like, <laughs> this is so funny. It is so cute. I think he is the most charming person so far for me on this entire show. I just love him. 10 out of 10, if that wasn't clear. Yeah, I'm waiting for your 11s out of 10 for Andy. <laughs> uh, but it's it's great to see someone discovering Andy. <laughs> and so not through cute. Jim Carrey either. Matt, where are you sitting on this one? More in the, you know, somewhere in between. I think it was, you know, it was fine. I really think that, you know, it still doesn't do what it, the first one did for me. Sure. I, I still, like at this point, it's a continuation of the same gimmick. Mm-hmm. So it, it doesn't have that freshness for me. So I like it. But, I, you know, I'm not uh, I'm not at her level by any means of like mm. it. And then we have a Chiron on some uh, person in the audience, and it says it's nobody worth mentioning. It's cute, those quick little uh, clips. I don't know. You've probably seen pop-up video. Yep. It gives me pop-up video vibes of just <laughs> this random information I didn't need, but it's good to have anyway. <laughs> For sure. Yeah. Our next bit is uh, sort of an edit character chat between Candace Bergen and Gilda Radner. Um, and Radner asks Bergen about being pretty and says she's very, she feels unattractive and, and, and very unfeminine around Bergen. They talk about self-esteem for a bit. They talk a little bit about the uh, Equal Rights Amendment, and, and Bergen clears up some misconceptions on that. Um, and uh, it's just a, it's not a sketch, it's just a nice little chat. Yeah, it's relatable femininity. That's all I'm going to say, like, if you have ever identified as a female, that you'll probably find this relatable. I don't really think it's funny. I think it's a it's a cute little chat between two people that could have happened at a sleepover. Our next bit's an Albert Brooks movie. This one is a, a, a collage of mid-season replacements, uh, including Medical Season, The Three of Us, Black Vet, and a few uh, one-off specials that are coming up. This was what it was. It, it was quicker paced, I think, than a lot of the other Brooks films. Um, it was a different style. Um, I could sort of, I, I got a couple of chuckles out of a few things. With the revelation that Albert Brooks is paid by the minute, I barely have interest in watching his fucking programs. Mm. My gosh, that made me mad, man. <laughs> this guy is not worried about comedy. That's really the bottom line here going forward for me. If he's getting paid by the minute, he's not worried about comedy. And, and you know what? This wasn't funny. 
It didn't work. You know, sitcom replacements. You know who did this funnier years later? The Simpsons. You know who else could have done this funnier? Anybody. Black Vesh? Am I supposed to think Albert Brooks is some fucking comedy genius because he wrote Black Vesh? This is shit. And I'm really losing my patience with both Albert Brooks and these short films dragging down the episodes for me. I'm red in the face. <laughs> D, you go ahead. The short film doesn't belong. Is Albert Brooks white? Is he white? Of course he is. He had no business writing Black Vet. That's all I have to say. I didn't think this was funny. I thought Black Vet would have been funny had it been written by a black person, but evidently it isn't. I don't know who approved this. Uh, again, I think Albert would be better suited to like have his own show, his own thing going on. It doesn't fit in with this show, and I hope it stops. No, you're right. Albert Brooks used a stupid black stereotype to get a laugh. It was, it's really distasteful in modern times. I agree. And I mean, the who approved it is the uh, the executive. Lorne Michaels, yeah, Lorne Michaels uh, ultimately approved it. And I'm sure NBC. Sorry, Keith, I don't I don't mean to cut you off, uh, but I I mean this is going to definitely be something that comes up uh, later on, and I can't wait for you and I to discuss it because I feel like at oftentimes we'll be on opposite ends of it, and you're my favorite debate guy of all time. Um, (laughs) I, I I hold Lorne Michaels personally accountable. For this short-sighted horseshit. But did you notice some of the actors? I didn't. Odo from Deep Space Nine was in uh, Medical Season. Um, and Lisa Hartman, who went on to have a great career and, and married Clint Black. The actor Purvis Atkin, was the uh, he was in a lot of the uh, films from the 70s. He was in The Longest Yard and some, some black exploitation films. Um, he was the black vet. Yeah, I don't like these. They're wrong for the show. They're just wrong for the show. They're not winning Albert Brooks any fans, and they're not winning the show any viewers. They, I, I'm, fuck, I wish they would figure this out. And the next thing we have is a Chiron. person in the audience is Leonard Bernstein's caterer. These are stupid. They need to figure out that they shouldn't do them. So uh, let's go on to uh episode of Midnight Probe. Candace Bergen hosts uh, two Kiwi trappers, Dan Aykroyd and John Belushi, who are former Vietnam vets who are now trapping Kiwis in, in New Zealand. I didn't really get it. I feel like the, no. when I watched this, I was like, I don't maybe I don't get it. I, the, the, I, I don't really know how to express it other than that. I didn't get it. Have you ever watched, like, an episode of, like, I don't know if this has happened on Ellen, but, like, Ellen DeGeneres, like, any one of those daytime talk shows where they bring on these people who usually bring a live animal on with them. Mm-hmm. They had a prop in this. Mm-hmm. Um, but usually you'll get these people that bring on these live animals, and they're so neurotic about it. Like, they're so okay. hype. Clearly they've been out in the field with these animals for, like, so long. And uh, that's funny to me. So- At one point, like, you can hear... Um, uh, I think it was Dan. He starts talking about how, like, he saw thousands of these birds during the night, and they were doing these hypnotizing, like, movements. It's just mm. so ridiculous and so funny. Like, clearly he's lost it to the Kiwi hunt. <laughs> okay, so you get it. The, 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 this is a yeah, clear case yeah. where D gets too it. Much time, too much time in the bush. Okay, then it. our next one is um, Michael O'Donohue makes a very specific uh, violent slash obscene call to Lorraine Newman, who's playing an airplane ticket agent. Um, she doesn't emote and does her standard sign-off. Uh, this was quick. I like Michael O'Donohue's stuff. Um, I know that this is very taboo perhaps these days 
But the specifics of what he wanted to do to her uh, kind of made me laugh. Uh, but I, I, I know I might be uh, sort of sitting on a minefield there. No, if you've ever worked at a call center, you will have people call in and describe like these really awful things they want to do to you because of their service. And I think it was just a play on that. Yeah, I agree. Um, I mean, I didn't love it. It was this this Mm -hmm. just existed for me. This this was pre pee break kind of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So we're on to the Muppets now. This is the first time that I got the sense that the audience uh, wasn't into it either. um, Yeah, at all. Well put, well put, because I noticed that as I, I, you know what, I thought I noticed that, but I wasn't sure if it was because of the recording or something, or maybe I just didn't hear the laughter as much, uh, or maybe, you know, because you never know with TV, are they using canned laughter or does it really matter? But I, I don't know, it seemed a little off to me, and maybe that's exactly the reason why. I'm just speculating. D? I didn't think it was funny. I think Scrat is the funniest Muppet uh, of them all. And if it wasn't for him, I wouldn't have even smiled. Yeah, you've been on Scrub's team since day one, haven't you? <laughs> I have. He's yeah. so cute. Like, if they had had him on his own, maybe doing jokes about, like, being a stoner or something, that might have been funny. <laughs> You're right. There's a lot of missed opportunities, uh-huh. I feel, here. But, but you know what? You can't fault them for that. They're trying to figure out a network television show. And, I'm, you know, I'm sitting here in 2021. Well, there are so many missed opportunities. My gosh, these people are doing their best. But uh, but he's right, nevertheless. And Jerry Nelson does the voice, and uh, he does quite a few voices that you'd be used to as a child growing up with uh, knowing some Muppets and some Sesame Street and stuff like that. Candace Bergen reports from a third world country with a king played by John Belusi. She can't pronounce his name. She calls him uh, some racist names, ruins his clothes and abuses him. And then at the end, when he gets upset, she announces to the world that it's another third world dictator being a tyrant. I see what they were going for, but uh, this fell really flat for me. Too real. It's just real, uh, mm-hmm. typical American journalism. The one point I did give it is that this is an early look at Murphy Brown. Yeah, I never thought of that. That the Moxie was there, the the Murphy Moxie. Now Murphy was very leftist, but uh, sure. yeah, this was uh, this was Murphy. Oh no, but you're right. Now that I think back at it, when you say that, I'm like, holy shit. Because I mean, I loved Murphy Brown. It's kind of stupid that I say that, and I still didn't notice that. I feel a little embarrassed. Our next sketch is Black Perspectives with Garrett Morris, who talks to Jane Curtin, who has written several books on the Black experience. <laughs> she she writes as a white woman who has the perspective of the people. Um, Jane even uses a black woman on her uh, book jacket. And uh, next week's guest on Black Perspectives is uh, French filmmaker Andre Previn. Um, Dee, would you like to take the floor on this one? I think this is so funny. Um, (laughs) If you know who Daniel Brigoli is or any of the people that have come out in the last few years that are clearly... Is that bad Bobby? Yeah. Bad baby. Bad um, baby. Is it baby? Not Bob. <laughs> I thought it was Bobby. No, it's baby. I am baby. so old. <laughs> um, bad baby. Yeah. Uh, black perspective. Right now in 2021, we have a lot of white people coming out as transracial that genuinely seem to believe that they are black. And to me, that was this. That's exactly what it is. And it was a joke at the time, but we're living this reality right now. White people really think they are. You know, you look at like what they used to call the uh, the white middle class reformers who 
decide to speak for people and on behalf of people and line their pockets as they do that. I don't know. I, I, I laughed at this so much. Me too. Um, like, I think if they'd write this joke now, at some point they would yell at her and say, but you're a white woman and ruin the whole joke. The fact that these two were so goddamn serious through this whole thing. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, it was good. Now, we talked like with, with Black Vet earlier. Um, does this sort of make the point that you made about Albert Brooks writing and producing Black Vet? Yeah, this is, this, is white people yeah. doing black comedy correctly. Like they have a black person that is in on the joke and then mm-hmm. they have a white person completely making fun of themselves. That makes sense to me. What was happening mm-hmm. in that other film? No, that wasn't the same. Because in this one, both Curtin and Morris are completely oblivious to what's wrong with what they're doing. Yeah, I, I really like this one. Me too. I shouldn't uh, say anything. I, I I didn't know it was baby. I re- thought it was a play on Barbie. I thought it was th- that's because uh, I thought she was like a Barbie. That's the oldest thing I've ever heard you say. So um, the next bit is a it becomes a, a bit of a recurring thing in the early days of the show. Um, pong. Uh, it's uh, Al Franken and Tom Davis. They they're just talking about life as they play pong. And this one was about a girlfriend sleeping over his Franken's parents' house. This was quick, I thought. Um, and uh, I, I kind of liked watching the Pong as they were talking. Certainly a lot yeah. better than if it was just two dudes sitting on a bench or something like that. I mean, I guess. But, I mean, there were no jokes in this. This was just, oh, look, Pong is a thing. So, oh, it's relatable that people play Pong. This doesn't work for me. Why are you shaking your finger at me, D? That wasn't the joke. Uh, family go, Family Guy, sorry, will go on to do this joke again later, like a little more in depth. But the joke is that uh. he's like ripping this guy's life apart and getting him to spill all his trauma while he like kicks his ass in this game of Pong. So that's why the other guy's losing. Yeah, I and you know I picked that up like because they're like, but they're not fucking with each other enough. It's not. It's not, and they're because, and the points, you know, they go back like the other guy's scoring too many points for it to be some blowout. It's the joke fails. The sketch fails because I get it that that's their premise. I'm going to fuck with you because, you know, I fucked her too or whatever. But uh, it doesn't work because the other guy keeps scoring points and there's not (coughs) enough distraction on one side or the other. It's like, yeah, Pong is cool. Put a couple of dudes playing Pong on TV and the kids will like it. It definitely gave, like, the crew a little break because all they needed was the cameraman and the Pong machine, right? Yeah, for sure. (laughs) And uh, our last segment is the return of uh, Esther Phillips again. Um, This time she sings I Could Stand a Little Rain. Still odd, still a bit of the dolphin vibrato, but uh, it's definitely less odd than the first song. No, they did my dirty they did her dirty they shouldn't have let her come on here and sing with this uh sing like this i can't believe nobody told her about the the vibrato that she's doing here that it was inappropriate you're right it's comically bad it's comically it's, it's bad. embarrassing and i kind of like does she know like i don't know if she knows that there's comedic value to it because that would make sense but i get the feeling that she doesn't because she looks dead serious she had legions of fans that didn't see this comic side that we're seeing no they're lying i don't Um, believe it i I do not believe it i believe that the fans were there and they were behaving uh in the way that fans would behave but i do not believe deep down in their black little souls and their black little bodies that they were vibing with this because anybody i know 
that is black would laugh their asses off. <laughs> <laughs> but like, I also think like Johnny Mathis and, and like uh, Dave Matthews, Dave Matthews has a ridiculous voice. You can um, have a ridiculous voice, but this isn't that. Like, she will finish saying a word, and then she will just do the dolphin noise. It's not included in the word. Hmm. It's an entire separate behavior. All right, and so we're at the end of the show. The cast comes out and joins Candace Bergen to say goodbye. How about that? Loved it. Oh, yeah. man. That, that really, when I saw that, I, I really... I felt like we were getting into it. I really it made yeah, me tingle. Yeah. I loved it. They gave yeah, her sure. roses. It was yeah. so sweet. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, she did a great job. She was like I said, I mentioned earlier uh, that I felt like they didn't really know what to do with her as an actress. Mm-hmm. Uh, certainly, maybe an actress of her caliber or whatever. But the, that obviously didn't translate to their affection for her. Candace Bergen will be back many times. This is, for better or for worse, Esther Phillips's only appearance. And, and Esther died in 1984. Um, she was quite young, 48, I think. Um, Shit, Esther. Yeah. Oh, my yeah. God. I hope that she had some good days after this because this was not one of them. There were some demons there. Um, this was the lower, lowest rated episode of the first season. Um, it was actually, oh. I think, partially preempted because a movie ran late or a game, some sort of game ran late or something. So this one didn't air for uh, several minutes later than it was supposed to, and, and people missed it. This is the last appearance of Andrew Duncan, who was the uh, the announcer in the Ambassador Training Institute commercial. He uh, This commercial will air a lot over the years, so his his voice stays, though he doesn't come back again let's get into our awards here for episode four of saturday night live Mm -hmm. and we're going to start with rating the music three out of ten i'm so sorry baby like esther i know that you didn't have many days after this uh but this wasn't your big moment you made me laugh uh i saw potential in your voice but i have to rate the music three out of ten I'm going to have to agree with D here for the most part and really say that uh, this, this, I think this was a bit of a national embarrassment for Esther because she was trotted out here in a fashion that I don't really agree with. I don't know if she was given advice. I don't know her vocal coach is. This is, this is humiliating. I thought this was humiliating. I don't know why she's right. Why did people let her do this? Why did people let her sing like that? It's silly. It's so silly. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Um, Yeah, I mean, I I, I enjoyed the music. Uh, The woman could obviously sing. Um, but it, it was the extras, uh, that, that made me giggle. The, uh, yeah, yeah, uh, I, I didn't get it and, and I'm kind of glad I don't have to see her again because it's not the effect she was going for. I, I, uh, I'm less inclined to believe that, you know, she was <laughs> trotted out like pro, like post stroke Groucho Marx, you know, Cheerf- to- <laughs> cheerfully withdrawn. <laughs> to 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 wander the stage and stuff like that. Trot it out. I think I think I think this woman had some some awareness of what she was doing. 
she knew what she was doing. She um, knew what she was doing. She knew. She knew. And and when people she... liked it. It's just. <laughs> When she knows, like yeah, she she knew what she was doing and, and people liked it. Um, <laughs> her musicians were great. The sax uh, players were so good. But yeah, this was uh it took people yeah, right out of reality. It really did. Um, and and I know people liked her. I I just I don't know. <laughs> the way you said that, and I know people liked her. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody out there liked her. <laughs> she did her thing, I guess. I can't believe I skipped it, but let's rate the host. Oh, seven out of ten. I would give Candace Bergen. Uh, I really do not think she had a lot to work with, to be honest. She was game for whatever she was given, and I think she carried herself remarkably. Uh, I would give her a seven out of ten. Yeah, I thought she was great. I thought she was the best so far. Um, we're four eps in, and she was the uh, the best full-on host I thought we had yet. What is the worst bit of the night? Albert Brooks' film ruins the flow of the show, the pacing, the humor. This is, like, he's really fucking up Saturday night. Um, Yeah, that, it was definitely Albert Brooks for me, uh, it took me out of the episode, was not that funny, and felt really slow and misplaced. Yeah, worst of the night for me, uh, it, it's still the Muppets. Um, I don't know Albert Brooks's work as well as I know the Muppets, and they're just misfiring. This is just, it's such a letdown to me as, as someone who grew up loving the Muppets so much. They paid for those dope-ass puppets, I guess. They gotta try to make use of them. This one was written by uh, Rob Reiner and Carl Gottlieb. They, uh, Rob Reiner wrote this Muppets sketch. It's book. just so wild to me to have such cool uh, cool Muppets and not do something more with them. Is that yeah. kind of lack of logic that you will experience as you travel through the various levels of S and Hell? Hell, that's right. So the uh, the bit, the sketch of the night. For me, it was Andy Kaufman. I thought this was so funny. I thought it was so cute. It might have went on for a little bit long, but again, I think I already said that the longer you give him, for me, the funnier the joke gets. Uh, yeah, 10 out of 10 for Andy Kaufman. I love that man. My favorite part of the night might be a little surprising, I guess, at this stage. But because uh, I didn't really say anything about it, but I thought the coolest part of the night, you know, it wasn't the funniest. I didn't laugh, but I thought the best part of this episode was Candace Bergen talking to Gilda Radner. I thought it was cool. I thought it was real. I thought it was really SNL -y. Um, And I thought the message was positive. Uh, yeah, I just I really felt good about it. I thought it was awesome. I was like, this is fucking good TV right here um, for me. uh the bit of the night. This was hard, man. This is the first one that was really tricky because I liked Kaufman and uh, I liked Black Perspectives, but I ultimately went with Landshark, um, Jaws 2. Everything for me was there. It was, it was a well-done sketch, some good stuff, and uh, the nostalgia factor. That was definitely what made me laugh the most, for sure. I think okay. one of my, my choice was based on... Because sometimes I feel like Saturday Night Live... Is it's not necessarily just always a ha ha show, it, mm. uh, and it can also be very politically relevant, politically charged, uh, and it's very much just in the bloodstream 
of uh, of social relevance. I really think well, while Landshark was funnier and made me laugh, my my reason for picking Gilda and Candace was was like this was some fucking this I really thought it was landmark television to be honest. Yeah. But those two women just sitting there talking about issues like that and it really seemed, you know, there was definitely a couple of moments where it was really off the cuff. Um that was it was it was awesome that they got to do that. I think this was fucking brilliant. The more I think about it, the more I realize that this was a brilliant sketch. This was mm-hmm. a far and away the best thing that happened in this episode for me. I really think they did an important message and it was really intelligent how they knew who was talking to who. I don't know who wrote this, but fucking home run for me. The star of the night for you guys, the most valuable, not ready for primetime player. Gilda Radner, really, uh, she did something that I really don't experience much from SNL. Gilda Radner made me actually feel something. I felt like I knew her. Uh, It was just, there was something so rawly honest about it. Um, Yeah, it spoke to me. And uh, I think it was such a triumphant home run. That did, you know, I didn't even, I don't even acknowledge the rest of the not ready for prime, prime time players in this mm. episode. When I see something like that, it was too real. It was raw and honest. And I, uh, and you know what, even if it wasn't raw and honest, if, like, if somebody in the internet tells me tomorrow, you know, that was all written by fucking Chevy Chase. I don't give a shit. It felt good. Yeah. And that's a good message for young women to hear on television. Yeah. Period. Yeah, I think I'm going to agree with that, especially at the end um, when everybody came out and gave her roses. That made me so happy and it kind of tied the whole episode together and really showed what she did for this episode. After your very deep and well-analyzed answers, I'm going to say my favorite was Chevy Chase because he was funny. Um, (laughs) (laughs) um, Chevy is the front and center guy. But his contributions to this episode, uh, you know, Landshark, Weekend Update is getting there, uh, Gerald Ford at the beginning. Um, I, I just thought this was uh, – and, and his interactions with with, uh, with Candace Bergen. Um, I just thought Chevy was on in fine form this time around. He sure was. And as I've mentioned, Keith, I already, like it's really obvious to me that this guy is the star. Mm-hmm. Uh, and even, you know, Belushi has had his moments. He had that Joe Cocker that was one of your favorite moments. Looking back, because when I when we were coming into this whole project, I knew just because just from a like just from knowing like SNL history stuff. Uh, so just based on SNL history only, I was like, oh, SNL history tells me Chevy Chase was the star of season one. So I I go in there with that, almost that stereotype, but uh, but that was you know I heard that years ago. When I watch it now, I'm not thinking about that. But yeah, holy shit, do I ever get it? Like I can see why it was just true. Why why media at the time, why the why the magazines, why the critics, they definitely would have thought, yep, Chevy Chase, yeah, John Belushi, he's next, but mm-hmm. Chevy Chase first. And shit, there's a reason, I guess. He says live from New York. It's Saturday night. Some closing thoughts on the uh, overall episode here. Uh, to me, this was the first real episode of Saturday Night Live. There's a lot of stuff on it that would never appear on TV today, or it would be a fight to get it on TV, or once it was on TV, somebody would uh, take uh, great umbrage with that. I thought Bergen was great. She fit in like a glove. 
Um, we got a lot more from the cast this time. Um, Chase was starting to establish a bunch of newer things. Like I said, things are, are, are falling into place. I'm starting to see things forming, like on-screen duos starting to form. Chemistry is being worked out. And people are starting to fill their spots. Um, there's certainly still some awkwardness and some growing pains to go through. But uh, it's time to break the contract with Albert Brooks, and it's time to break the contract with the Muppets. I gave this episode a 7 out of 10. I'm giving this episode a 6.5 out of 10. I don't mm. know what it was that was missing for me. Maybe it's like the energy that was brought to me in the past couple of episodes by the musical performances, and then they gave me Esther. I'm going to give it a 6.5 out of 10. I will rate this episode a 5 out of 10. I think uh, Candace Bergen is an excellent host. I think they had no idea what to do with her. I think they gave us monumental late 70s television for a few minutes. Uh, But otherwise, it was just the usual SNL shit of them not really knowing what they're doing yet and just filling a lot of time and not paying attention to the people that are working for them. Like you'd have to be blind to see that Dan Aykroyd is not funny and that he should be on TV. Get your shit together. You don't got it together. Figure it out. Cool. So that's a seven from me, a five from Matt and a 6.5 from D and the fine folks at IMDb. Rated this one 7.1, so we're not too far off. You know, based on the uh, exchange rate, mm-hmm. I think I think we're matching. That that matches our exchange rate. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think we agree. I think as f- based on how our ratings are going, we're on pace with IMDb. Uh, so I, I would consider that a match. Since we recorded the first and second episodes, I've actually found uh, the 50 greatest SNL sketches of all time. Um, the Rolling Stone list, It's uh, for some people, will debate the list. Anybody's going to debate any list, but I find that Rolling Stone, their list does a good job of spanning the whole run of the show and not being super heavy in any particular eras. So I thought it was a good list to use. And on episode one, one of the skits made the top 50 of all time. The courtroom sketch. Do you remember the courtroom sketch that none of us liked? Yeah. Dumb. Well, yeah, let me give you the number and then I'll hear what you have to say. That actually landed at number 38 on the top 50 SNL sketches of all time. Not only will I not agree with that that assessment, but uh, I, I mean, I must go on record here. I guess it's important to me if this is in a public broadcast. I think Rolling Stone is a piece of trash publication that has no merit at all. I think their rankings are without value. Sorry, I can find another list if this one's not. No, no, Keith, Keith, no, no, I didn't, I did not mean it like that. Please don't, because you're already, we're doing the IMDBs, you're giving us the IMDBs. So I, and I I think Rolling Stone, as much as I fucking hate it, culturally relevant, probably still, you know, it's still around. This is just my personal opinion. I don't think you should at all abandon it just because of my uh, hostility toward it. No, okay, because they also have, uh, they've also done a uh, top 140 cast members of all time oh i can't wait for that like i agree with their top 20 but i do not agree with the order you know what i'm saying yeah yeah i gotcha and i do know rolling stone does have a history of redoing things to fit 
popular yeah sell magazines popular you want to sell magazines of course yeah but it does that, that that just means i don't take it seriously yeah i guess is all like all, what, what is that's the ultimately what i'm trying to say whereas time would be like here's the list fucking live with it you know <laughs> yeah. so uh yeah that's it for candace bergen and esther phillips Thanks very much again, Matt and Dee. It was great talking to you again about SNL from 46 years ago. It's been a sweet, sweet pleasure. I would have done nothing else with my night. This is the best. Awesome possum. Thanks very much, guys. Take care. And there we have it, folks. It is episode four in the can. Hope you enjoyed it. We'll be back soon, or perhaps the video is already back, depending on when you're listening to this with episode 5 featuring Robert Klein, Loudon Wainwright III, and ABBA. We'll see you soon on some level of S and Hell.